I can uh, attest to the fact that my relationships have gotten healthier over time. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm able to relate in a in a totally different way, and I still have great sex. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it, the, that you can't have great sex. numbers are up, which means that I think we have a bunch of new listeners right now. So I wanted to go through a few things real quick. First, you'll hear me talk about my sex research during this episode and also my streaming course, Please Her in Bed. If you're interested in that, you can go to pleaseherinbed.com. It is a streaming course based on my sex research of over a thousand women about what makes a man great in bed, but it's not just about body parts. It's really about how you can lead as a man in sexual contexts and how you can invite her forward, how to talk about sex in a meaningful way that feels playful and welcoming and helpful to her in terms of getting getting her to open up and helping support her in that. If that's interesting to you, you can use the code DEARMEN, all one word, for podcast listeners. That is a discount taking the course from $97 to $69. So that's fun. Second thing is, I am a coach for men in relationships and in sex and in dating. And we work with about um, three different kinds of men. So We really work with any men, but I just wanted to go over briefly the kinds of men who tend to show up for our work and who we work with best. So I coach alongside my co-coach, Jason Lang, who you've heard on the podcast several times. He's on a lot. Um, And we basically work with, um, yeah, men that are sort of fall into three categories. The first is men in their 20s and 30s who have sex with women, but have never really figured out women and have never had a lot of success in dating or relationships. We also work with a second category of men who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and up who have been in a bad relationship or are in a challenging relationship now and trying to evaluate whether it's going to work or they're divorced or divorcing and they know that they don't want to repeat the patterns of that relationship in the future. They know they want to work on themselves so that they attract healthier partners in the future. And then the third category we work with are men that are in relationship and want more. They're craving more with either their wife or their long-term partner. They just know that more intimacy is possible, more sexual connection, more closeness. They just know that that they they want to grow. They want to grow and they know that it will serve the relationship to do so. So those are the men we work with. If you are interested in coaching, you can always go to evolutionary.men slash training to go deeper than the podcast and take our free training. Or if you know that you're already ready to get started, you can go to evolutionary.men slash apply. So without further ado, we will get into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. So happy to have you here, Jason. We always get great feedback on the quote Jason episodes. (laughs) Um, And today we're talking about how do you know whether she's the one? And this has been a common topic in our group and in with our alumni lately. So we thought we would do an episode on it. it seems to be kind of in the field in the ether. And I wanted to read a few questions that we've gotten from our clients around this. So first one is, I'd like some advice on discerning whether or not to commit to a relationship with a woman I've been seeing. There are some concerns about certain areas of compatibility and a bit of an anxious avoidant dynamic. 
but also a bit of difficulty wondering if some of my feelings of uncertainty are about the relationship specifically or more about my own internal stuff and that I'm possibly pushing someone away that loves me for some unconscious reason. And then the other man says, I've begun dating a woman and I just can't make up my mind. Sometimes I feel like I'm settling and that makes me sad. Sometimes I feel very blessed to have someone as amazing as her who wants to be with me. The question I have is, if I'm having doubts or feelings that I might be settling, does that mean she's not the one? Or is it normal to have these feelings sometimes? So in a word, we're talking about ambivalence today. We're talking about ambivalence. And there's that feeling I think that you can pick up in those questions of, I'm not sure. I'm not saying she's not the one. I'm not saying she is the one. I'm saying I'm not sure she's the one. And I'm not sure how to evaluate this. And it seems like in both cases, there's an awareness of, well, I think more in the first case than the second case, there's an awareness of, is this my patterning or is this actually about this other person that I'm with? So I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to kind of your own experience of ambivalence in terms of dating and relationships. And then maybe we can talk about the the larger patterns that we've seen. Yeah. Um, you know, longtime listeners will know, like I didn't necessarily have a ton of dating patterning and experience. My issues weren't as much about ambivalence as they were about just getting into connection with women in the first place. In that, you know, once I started moving forward in that regard, you know, I only had a couple of deep relationships before I got married. And, um, but what I will say is, you know, I got married, <laughs> which is not being ambivalent, um, being very clear about, well, you know, what I was going to do with my partner and where we were going to go. And so that journey was definitely one, um, you know, I can speak to in terms of, you know, how I knew it was the right partner for me. And I think that's a, you know, there, there's so much that swirls for men around this. And just, you know, one thing I'll, I'll mention is this is one of the areas I'm, we most see guys get stuck in their heads, ruminating, overanalyzing, trying to think, oh, is there someone better out there? What about this? What about that? Should I, should I not? But I don't want to hurt her. And there's so much underneath often, um, you know, why men have a hard time committing sometimes. And, you know, contrary to a lot of belief I, I i'm not of the opinion like men are commitment phobes i think it's just it, when we say yes to something we want to feel like we're all in like like just yeah if i'm going to do that i gotta i gotta be certain so i can go all in on that and it's that what gets us to certainty that i think trips up a lot of men and that's that's the ambivalence part and so um you know in our in in the first quote you you read yeah there's some legitimate um, things that, you know, I had an experience of in my relationship, I had enough relationships to know kind of what I was looking for. Right. And for me, that was a practitioner, uh, partner who was a practitioner and deep on her path of healing and self-growth, um, who could hang and, you know, have difficult conversations who liked to adventure, um, who had purpose in her life and who liked sex. You know, those were kind of my main things, like someone who valued those things. And so my experience with my wife, Violet, you know, our early dating was, as I like to say, to discover 
we were dating each other to discover to, does this person you know fulfill those things for me and for me that was a yes you know um sure i you know i had some doubts now and then like just oh could there be someone else or should i be da 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 or da 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 um, but i think as i've shared with a lot of our men uh, what what really got me in was the way we were able to move through conflict way we were able to move through conflict i was like i haven't experienced this with anyone else and uh, in a way it required more of me the relationship required more of me to show up in and i was like "Ooh, i i want that like that's that's good for me that's good for my growth and to have a partner who's who's leaned in every time um we've hit some conflict you know that was a no-brainer for me so you know i strangely enough i, I think i've told the story like um, I went to a festival with my partner and I wasn't even on the radar, but through the experience of that intense week, got pretty clear. And then within like 15 seconds, had this download of like, oh, I'm going to ask her to marry me because what else am I waiting for? Like, and I think that's the thing a lot of men sometimes can't find of like, what else am I waiting for? And there's lots of reasons for that, that we will explore more throughout the, um, throughout the uh, episode here. But it's the road to that, that I think, uh, you know, that ambivalence can really trip guys up in and is also a big part. Um, also a big part of that, I think is I was much clearer at that point of who I was, what I wanted, my vision for my life, you know, five, 10 years before that it was, it was a lot foggier still. And so that's one of the other things I see tripping up a lot of guys is they, they don't really know what they want so it's hard to determine you know is this partner the right partner for me i think that's very well said and it's something that i notice in i guess in you and witnessing you and your your journey your path you invested tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds to thousands of hours in your personal growth before you met Violet. So you had a certain level of development in your nervous system already so that you were available for clarity. And I think that's one of the things that I've seen in in men and women, I would say actually, but we're going to focus on men for this episode, who do experience this ambivalence pattern of, I'm not sure, am I settling? Is it right? Am I, you know, is there someone better? All of that, that there's not necessarily um, a level of ability to be clear, right? Availability for clarity requires a certain level of, of uh, availability in the system, right? So another way to think about it is um, listening to our intuition requires us to access our intuition. If yeah. we're numbing all the time, if we've got a lot of unprocessed trauma in our system, if there's just a lot of noise, it's a lot harder to hear that, that quiet voice. And so there's a, and there's a balance, right? This is, this is a complex topic. That's why we're doing a whole episode on it. It's not cut and dried. It's not, if you're having doubts about your partner and you're not sure that she's the one you need to go do trauma work. I'm not saying that most of us do need to do trauma work, but that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I have seen the rumination patterning. I have seen the kind of constant questioning and not just about relationship, but often this is about life choices, job choices. Should I stay here? Should I move? Should I, you know, all of those kinds of questions. 
the rumination patterns I've often witnessed have been in, in men who, yeah, who need to do some work, some personal mm-hmm. work in order to, to clear out some of that old stuff. So I would say that witnessing you, I would imagine that if you can speak briefly to this, who were you in your twenties versus in your, I think, mid thirties when you met Violet, mm-hmm. who were you and, and what did you do in the meantime to, to make yourself available for that clarity? Because would you have been able to be clear in your twenties? Definitely not. Um, for all kinds of reasons, you know, a, I was mostly numb just in my body. So, uh, there were things I thought I wanted, but you know, they were thoughts. They weren't actual pulls in my heart and des- desires, so to speak. So for one, I wasn't very connected to my body to kind of be able to follow my intuition to, or to oftentimes even know kind of what I was feeling or how I was feeling. Um, for me at that time, you know, there was also just the the reality that I hadn't had enough experience. So I had theories about what kind of woman I wanted, but I hadn't actually had embodied interactions with different flavors of the feminine to start to get a sense of like, what works for me? What works for my nervous system? Um, what kind of humor do I like? What kind of, you know, just all of that stuff. And I think, I think there is a, a an important thing here for men that, um, you and this is there's no science to this in the sense of it's not a rule it's not a rule there's no calculation but there's something you have to discover as a man i would argue of you have to date enough you have to date enough whatever enough means to you i'm not saying that can't be you marry your first sweetheart you might that's totally aligned for some people. For other people, it's, yeah, they have to have a few relationships. They have to have some experiences, but you have to date enough to know in an embodied sense that, yeah, there's just a yes here. Like, I want to make this work. I want to go forward in this. And I didn't have any of that then. So I didn't know what I was looking for. And and additionally, I think if I had found it accidentally, I wasn't going to be ready at that point because I had all these stories and, you know, I got to date more and I want to date more. And I, you know, as that was coming online and the road to get there, you know, was for me was personal growth and development. You know, it was getting connected to myself. It was getting connected to community. It was starting to take care of my body. It was doing therapy. It was getting into men's groups. It was eventually doing plant medicines. It was, it was all the things we you know, we often talk about and yet you cover so beautifully in this podcast that lead to healing and lead to growth. Um, and you know, I got in there. I, what I mean by got in there is I had some relationships I, and, and they weren't like light, you know, um, I went in deep, I went into a five-year relationship, um, before I even met my wife and really gave that a go and learned so much about myself, about where my blind spots were and what I actually wanted and different things in that process. And, um, this is a, you know, this is, this is a point of advice I sometimes give guys is you'll always learn more in a relationship than out of one. Like, so I, there's been a number of guys we've worked with who, you know, it, one protection mechanism I've seen is like, oh, she's not perfect. So I'm not going to go in. Right. And I'm not going to date her or, or I can tell she's not my forever partner or whatever that might be. And so guys will kind of avoid and, and that's a lot of missed opportunity for just growing as a human being with another human being. 
which doesn't mean they have to be your life partner, but I've just seen it. And we've seen it, you know, with some men who have worked with us and then gotten into some relationships, which were not their forever relationships, but they learn more in that three, six, nine months, whatever it might be, than they had their entire life up until then. Cause it was practical. It was real. It wasn't a theoretical thing, but they got in there. And that was big for me when I, when I started to get in there and have, uh, it was just a couple experiences, right? Just a couple of relationships, but that got me to a place where I kind of knew what I was looking for. I think there's a lot to be said there for just the embodied experience of practice. I'm thinking about one of our clients who hasn't really dated in a very long time, you know, like five to 10 years, something like Mm -hmm. a long time. And during the course of the program, yeah, he asked a woman out. He led the date. It was a great date. He kind of discovered during the course of the date, this probably isn't someone I want to see again. He communicated that directly. She responded well, and then he moved forward. That was probably the first time he had had that sequence of events, maybe ever. So the embodied experience of leading, now his nervous system knows he can do it. There's no going back from that. There's no going back from that. So now he knows how to do it. And I think that, you know, to your point, there's a lot of growth and experience that you had through men's work and other experiences that you had done that had you, that had you able to show up in conflict, that had you able to lead and hang in there for really difficult repair and friction and that you didn't have those skills in your twenties. So to your point, Mm -hmm. you had come across the right person, it probably wouldn't have worked. And I think that's something that is really important to remember here is that the growth work that we do serves us, but it also serves our partners. So it's the same thing emotional regulation. When we are regulated, it's a gift to our partner and vice versa, right? There's a, there's a back and forth that happens. And one of the things that occurred to me that I really want to make sure we cover. So let's do it next is let's talk about attraction, attraction and physical. Oh yeah. Because I hear from a lot of men, you know, I really like her. We get along well. It feels good. I feel safe with her. Safe is an important one to me. I'm always tracking for that when I'm listening to clients talk about a relationship with someone um, because emotional safety is foundational, right? And if you're not feeling emotionally safe, that's the biggest red flag there is to me. But for the men who do and are, and do feel like this woman has a lot to offer, often it's, but like, is there someone that's like her, but also more attractive? Is there someone that's like her, but hotter? You know, could I trade up kind of thing? And it's a sort of, I don't know if I would say dark part of ourselves, but I guess I just want to normalize. If you're a man who's ever had those thoughts or feelings, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not a bad guy. Um, and it's, and it, and sometimes it's accompanied by shame, like, Oh God, I shouldn't want that. Or, I'm yeah, just I'm bad or I'm there's something wrong with me for wanting that. There's something wrong with you for wanting that. And there are a few points I think both of us want to make about this. I will start with this one. I have noticed a pretty direct correlation between watching porn and um dissatisfaction with current relationship partners' hotness level. So yeah. and this is over many men. This is not any one specific man, but this has been a pattern I've seen repeated a lot, which is when I watch porn, I'm less happy with my partner. And, and often I feel less connected to her sexually. So, and 
again, I think if you, if you're listening to this and you have what you would, what you would call a porn habit or maybe a porn addiction, or you're concerned about your porn consumption, I would encourage you to listen to the other episode that we did all about porn and porn addiction. Or, or I don't really like the word porn addiction. To me, it's more like you're using porn to regulate your nervous system. There's a reason that you're doing it. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad man. There's nothing wrong with you. I don't want all of that shame spiral to, to, continue because that doesn't help anybody. Um, but if you are, if that does feel like you, I would encourage you to find that episode and I'll drop it in the show notes. I'll make sure to, to include it in, in the show notes. Um, but where I'm going with that is there, there does seem to be a pattern of porn consumption and relationship unhappiness. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that, if you've had experience with that, or just speak to the pattern that we've seen in our clients. It's definitely a real thing in, um, you know, we were talking on a call with some of our alumni recently. Uh, I also want to tag into that, that, that I think that's a spectrum of porn is a big part of it, but it also goes into just mainstream culture, social media, advertising, Hollywood. And part of what it is, is um, Instagram. Instagram should be mentioned. Instagram, exactly. Instagram. And what we mean by that is these just unbelievably high standards. So the, the people, you know, porn, just like Instagram, is kind of like a social network. Certain types of people float to the top in terms of um, getting the attention. And the ones that do are like, you know, a certain type of look and body and whatever. But that's like out of hundreds of thousands and millions of people, right? So what's become normal to us is to see these like freakishly beautiful people, right? Who are very rare in a lot of ways, but that we come to think it's really normal. And that's that becomes the baseline, even though that's often not the common experience because, you know, in Hollywood and whatnot, you know, those are people who are, have personal trainers and personal chefs. Like it's very hard for normal people to, to look like that a lot of times. But point being, evolutionarily, men in particular are, we are not set up for that. We are not set up to have this much access to this much visual stimulation. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, the fact that it's, it's linked to, to, to testosterone, right? They, they've done studies where they can put women on testosterone and they become more visual in their sexual excitement, right? It, it doesn't, it's, it's just some hormones going through our bud, bodies and kind of how we're cultured. The point being like porn is a big one here in particular, because we don't, we don't really have the antibodies as, as I like to say for how to deal with this in this moment in time. It's a supernatural or supernatural stimuli as they call it. It's like something that used to be a rare thing, but even these, like the sight of a naked available woman, right? That was not something you could just walk around seeing back in the day. That was a really um, sacred and private thing in now it's like whip out your phone in any second and see one of the most beautiful women on the planet naked, right? And then your partner is having to compete or potential partners with every other woman on the planet for your attention and in in, in your sexual excitement in that. So it is definitely a real thing. And it definitely, you know, I've been a porn addict, like um, definitely impacts, right? It just in terms, not even like, I didn't particularly ever get less attracted to my partner, but um, it hijacked my attention, right? Imagery would come into my head 
at, at, at totally wild times. And it would actually impact how I was showing up in the moment. So it's a real one in point being, um, you know, we work with men sometimes on, on doing a bit of a porn cleanse is a very common thing that guys come into our program and do. And I've done it before. And it is one of those wild things where as you do it, the scales start to tip back. And it's like just seeing a woman's upper arm can be a turn on in a way. It's not when we're used to just boom, right there, the full package, everything, um, uh, on site in that resensitization, I think is really important for us men. So yes, porn will impact you because you'll be comparing an actual available partner to these porn stars or to these Instagram models or to these Hollywood models or whatever that might be. Yes. And I would also like to add plastic surgery to the list of, you know, personal trainers and all the rest of it. There are a lot of, a lot of, um, people have work done now and it looks really good. So it does feel, I would say, intimidating to me as a woman of, wow, yeah, like I do feel like I should be hotter than I am. I do feel ashamed of certain body parts because I see the same media. I don't consume as much porn as I think a lot of a lot of men do, but that just feeling of I should be hotter. I should, you know, like my ass should be better. I should have a perfect mm-hmm. hourglass figure. Like I should look different in jeans. I should, you know, I should be hotter than I am. And again, I think I just want to highlight that there's nothing wrong with you. If you're, if you're, if you wish your partner was hotter. Okay. I just want to normalize that for everyone, men and women, everybody. A lot of people do wish that their partner was more attractive, more sexually attractive. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the relationship. And it doesn't mean that you are not attracted to that person, right? It doesn't mean that. So I think there's a threshold sort of idea that we've probably talked about before, which is worth touching on. Your yeah. partner needs to hit a certain threshold for you um, on a scale of zero to 10, being off the charts, attraction, red hot, crazy. They need to hit at least a seven, right? And and it's going to vary depending on the circumstance. There are going to be moments when you are a nine attracted to them. And there are going to be moments when you're not. And that's the real world of, of actual relationship. But once it's a seven, does it matter if it's an eight, nine, or 10? Not really, I guess. So in the evaluation part of this, if you're wondering, how do I, how do I, how do I actually figure this out? How do I choose and how do I discern between whether this is me, like a me issue or like a her issue? I think that's one of the things is does, does she meet a certain level, a certain threshold of attractiveness to you, particularly when you're not consuming porn? So (laughs) that threshold level is going to go down during those moments. And for some people, those are the moments when the anxiety spikes. It's like, fuck, I feel like I should be more attracted to her. And it's, this is like a, a weird analogy, but if you had a pet, right. And you, you had your dog and you just loved your dog to death. And then you went to doggy daycare and you saw like really cute other dogs and you were like, Oh, my dog doesn't look as cute anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, maybe don't go to doggy daycare for a week and then see how you are. So don't take yeah. the day after you went to doggy daycare to be how you evaluate your love for your pet. That's not a fair moment to make that, that comparison or that realization. Yeah. I think that's threshold is a beautiful thing of, you know, how I like to phrase it to guys is basically pretty simple. Like 
do you get turned on when you see her naked? Like, just is there is there a, a bodily reaction to you? And when we're not watching porn, we'll get turned on by a lot of things. Um, you know, and and just recalibrating in that way is really important. And the other thing you said that I think is really important is, um, yeah, like even distinguishing turn on from um, hotter. Like, because there's a little different energy there. Like, I'm turned on by someone has nothing to do with other people. Hotter Instagram, all of that often ties into, well, other people would also think she's hotter. And if other people think she's hotter, I get to feel better about myself. So, that this is a thing I see it with a lot of guys. It's like, oh, uh, my self esteem is, is tapped into how attractive other people would label my partner. And then when the whole thing's inflated in this kind of social media world, that has an impact. And we've seen men who, you know, I've worked with men, we've worked with men who they, they're attracted to their partner, but they feel a little shame because they think she's not conventionally attractive or something like that. And they get tied into this whole like external validation thing where it's like, that doesn't matter. What matters is, yeah, does she meet your threshold? And that's the thing you want to look for. And it, it it has less to do with how other people are viewing her or your relationship or how hot they are and, and what that means about your self-esteem. And just, yeah, does it create enough energy in you that you want to connect with her sexually? If so, you're in a great spot. You're in a great spot. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that. Because that is definitely a pattern that we've seen about... And I think it's very brave. Honestly, I think it's a brave and courageous thing for our men to share their real truth with us, which is, yeah, I wish that I had arm candy. Essentially, I feel better about mm-hmm. myself if I walk into the room and my partner is quote unquote hot. And really, we just mean culturally, societally, exactly. picture is that that we have as a collective, which is not even realistic. It's like not even like the magazines are airbrushed. Instagram is airbrushed. I mean, and when I say airbrushed, you can take someone's waist in. Like, I think we think of airbrushing as if I have a blemish, I don't have a blemish. No, I'm talking about changing the shape of one's body. I know Eva Longorio, I think she's totally beautiful. And there was a, there was a article I read about showing the before and after photos. She looked more like a normal person. And then they quote unquote airbrushed, which really means they changed the entire image Mm -hmm. and then they put it up. And so I just want to be clear about airbrushing. So we're actually, many of us comparing ourselves to literally unreal standards, but that is such a good point about, it's not even just about the turn on and the attraction for some men. It's about what it means about me. If I walk in with this woman, yes, how I am seen if I walk in, I, and it's basically about status. There, there's a, there, that's the word. I feel higher status if I have a hotter partner. And again, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that. What I would caution you about when it comes to that is do you want a happy, healthy, long term, sustainable, deeply nourishing, fulfilling love relationship? Or do you want people at a party that you don't know? to think that you have high status. And that I think is the part that, you know, to your point, I've been in relationships like that myself. I've been with partners where I'm attracted to them. I think that they're good looking. And I do feel concerned about like, well, what are other people going to think about this choice of mine? And it mm-hmm. has pause. So again, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing shameful about you if you are having these thoughts. And 
you don't have to follow every thought you have, which is why we're doing the episode, right? It's like, you can have thoughts like, wow, I wish, you know, and most people, like I said, most people have at least one or two things, at least one or two things they wish were different about their partner. That doesn't mean the relationship isn't worth doing. It doesn't mean that you should break up. It's, it's, um, a metaphor that I've heard before that I would like to bring in here. And this goes more for the entire package of someone. So their personality traits, their looks, all the things. Um, when you go to a gem show or a rock show, so crystals, things like that, or precious gems, there are often vendors who are selling specific gems or specific rocks, but they'll also sell a small bag of mixed rocks and you get what you get. And you don't get to, you don't get to go through it. You don't get to look at every single rock in the bag. It's just like, Oh, $5. And you get all of these stones. I feel like in a way people are like that. And so if you go through the stones, you probably think a few of them are precious and beautiful and gorgeous. A few of them are like, eh, I could do without that. And a few of them are like, Oh, that's kind of ugly. Like I would, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't gift that to people. Right. And the bag as a whole is a person. We Mm -hmm. don't, we don't, there is no perfect person. I know that we say that all the time, but it's really true. And so that's one of the things that, you know, when, when, when we work with our men, right. One of the things that we have them do is what are three ways that you want to feel with your woman? How do you want to feel with her? And this is something that I I wanted to bring up in this episode was there are sort of two things that you're evaluating when you're, when you're partnering with someone there's them, right? Who they are, how they are. And then there's how you are around them, mm-hmm. what they bring out in you, how, how, how you experience yourself around this person. So if you have, for example, I know I have friends with different personality types. So around certain friends, I'm more gregarious. I'm more you know open. I'm more outgoing. Um, with other friends, I'm a little bit like quieter or more introspective. But the friends that are my best friends, I feel like I can be my full self with them, right? So if I'm feeling down, I feel safe to share that. If I'm feeling excited, I feel safe to share that. I feel like I am fully expressed. I can be all of who I am. I feel fully aligned. And I think that's one of the reasons that we that dating is so important to your point is being able to evaluate who this person is and who I am around this person. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's been like, okay, how do I take things to the next level with my, with my dating partner? You know, how do I get to know her better? One of the things we recommend is take a trip, go on a trip, Mm -hmm. or, you know, you want to be around the person when they're tired, when they're anxious, when things aren't going well, when you have to problem solve together, all of that makes a difference because you do want to see how do we work together as a team? How, who am I around this person? Who am I around this person? And I think that's been one of the really encouraging things about working with clients over time is witnessing particularly men who've been in bad relationships, unhealthy relationships, sometimes even domestic violence relationships, um, often with women with borderline personality disorder and witnessing their, their self-work, their self transformation as they grow, the women they start attracting are a lot safer and the relationship is much less chaotic. And there's a sense of, you know, one of the things I think a lot of those men have to get used to is who am I in a relationship? That's not chaotic. Who, you know, how do I do this? What does this feel like? And I think that kind of brings us to 
back to this question of how do I evaluate the health of a relationship or whether I should stay in it? Because if I'm used to something that I know is toxic and I, I don't want that, but now I have safety and I feel a little confused, does that mean this is bad? What if I want more passion? What if I want more spark? You know, And I'm not saying those are necessarily the right relationships, but it has been encouraging to me to witness men grow and transform and then attract healthier, safer partners. And for many of those men, I'm thinking of at least three right now, they're also having great sex, (laughs) but they're not, they don't have to walk on eggshells. So they're having really good connected sex and they feel safe with these women. And they're not um, on that constant crazy roller coaster of Mm -hmm. big highs, big lows, you know, she's threatening the relationship. It's, it's a, it's a mess, right? Much more it's a healthier dynamic. It's a, it's a much healthier dynamic and you can get there. I guess that's one of the things I wanted to say was if, if this has been part of your reality. And I know that there are even men that we've worked with who are like, is it even worth it? <laughs> like, <laughs> is being totally. in relationship worth it? It feels really hard. Yes, it's worth it. If you do grow and you do your work, you do attract different people and it is worth it. I mean, totally. Well, I think this starts to tie into something else we kind of mentioned at the beginning, but um, is an important point. And this is, I, I feel like this is a duality I've been thinking about a lot when it comes to men and ambivalence and some of our clients and patterns we've seen and patterns I've experienced. And what I would say is it's the spectrum of availability and excitability. And so oftentimes, and this is one of the tricky things, because this ties into the concept of settling, which was mentioned in one of the quotes we can talk about, but there's, there's for whatever reason, which will there actually are reasons we'll talk about in a minute. There's certain people that are, score off the charts on the excitability ex- index for us, right? There's just like a, a vibration in our nervous system and they're like, oh, I, I need that or want that. or like, and, and generally that correlates to a certain type of um, highly engaged electric sexuality in some, in some cases, you know, something we've mentioned previously, like trauma sex. Um, and then there's availability. So women who are actually available in that more stable space you were talking about to have a real relationship. It's not the push pull. There's not playing games. There's not disappearing. There's not abusive behavior, BPD, whatever that might be. And for a lot of guys, what I've found is it's, it's pretty hard to find both. And so the excitability index is the thing that's kind of always the maybe other FOMO. Oh, but there's other women, you know, I had that one girlfriend once and it was just off the charts. And then I have this other woman who's actually showing up and loving me and taking care of me and like making my life way better. But I don't know, it's kind of just okay, right? Like we'll hear that a lot. And to me that this starts to link into another important piece that can, that I think is part of the work you have to do to be able to get through the ambivalence. And that's work on your historical attachment wounding patterning. So not always the case, but there's a pretty strong correlation in my mind between that excitability and what was going on with our attachment styles when we were young, right? So if we had a a, a distant parent, we get kind of excited by someone who's kind of not quite available. Or we had a parent who sometimes was super loving and present, and then other times just totally gone or um, really intense or angry, we'll get attracted to someone maybe who has kind of more that BPD thing. 
Um, and there's lots of ways this, this, um, plays out, but what I've found in like, when you say the seven thing, yeah, a lot of guys like the tens or 11s tend to be relationships that burn out pretty fast and are painful is, is what, and you don't have to, you know, just take our word for it. Like go pull 200,000 people and you'll see oftentimes it's the ones that, that there's like that 10 or 11 on the, on the excitability index that don't quite work out. And then there's the people around them that are actually available. And that's when they're like, uh, I don't know, but something else in, in my mind, the solution to that is to do our work on our, our, our inner journey of our attachment wounding, any historical trauma we have, which will help to, to kind of settle that down, in, in my opinion, and what I've seen. And then tied to that as well, the other thing we'll sometimes see, and you know, the first quote you read of, you know, I'm wondering, I have some doubts. Is it the relationship? Is it me? Um, sometimes doubts about the relationship will be, well, there's stuff coming up in the relationship, right? And the, sometimes, not always, but sometimes that stuff is coming up because we're bringing our his, history our historical trauma to this present relationship that actually isn't a manifestation of that, right? We're getting triggered about things from our childhood or from previous relationships that have nothing to do with this current one. And so we'll think, oh, it's not the right relationship for me. Where the problem and thing that a lot of people experience is, okay, so then I'll go find someone else and they go find someone else and then, oh crap, the same problem manifests, right? And that's when there's a clue Oh, there's something on my side I might need to work here, which is probably tied to some some uh, stuff from when you were a kid and just some, there's nothing wrong. Like this is all workable, but you just have to do the work to unwind some of those patterns so then you can be available. And then what I see is people sink into, oh, actually feeling attracted to people who are av- actually available to them, meaning they're, they're not trying to convince them to be in a relationship or chase them. There's just someone who's like, yeah, I'm here, I'm in. Yeah. And I, I just want to corroborate because I was that person in my twenties. And when I was 24, I met my ex-boyfriend and it was off the charts. Like you said, the sex was amazing. It was intense. It was incredible. The relationship was not healthy. And I remember, I think we were like a year in at some point and we had a really honest discussion, which we rarely did uh, emotionally honest. And I can't remember if it was him or me, but one of us said, the only part of our relationship that really works is the sex. (laughs) That doesn't seem good. That that seems like it's not good. And I can uh, attest to the fact that my relationships have gotten healthier over time. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm able to relate in a, in a totally different way. And I still have great sex. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that you can't have great sex. I will say, I do think that that insane, intense level 11, you might not have that. And I remember when I was in my late twenties, I talked to one of my first friends that had gotten married and she said something very similar. It was just, we were just in the car talking, you know, nobody was around. She could be fully honest. And she said, yeah, the sex that I have with my husband is not to the same degree of, of intensity that it was with my ex-boyfriend, but everything else in the relationship is so much better that it doesn't matter. I don't, I would rather have what I have with him. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in a relationship where I don't feel safe. And we, we don't really connect on a lot of things, but the sex is really good. Like I want a life partner. I want to do this thing. 
And so, yeah, so I think it's, it's similar to the threshold. I mean, it is basically the threshold that we're talking about. And, you know, that, that bag of stones, right. My ex-boyfriend, there were, there was only really one stone that was precious in that bag and everything else was kind of harsh and rocky and intense and not a good way. And I didn't feel safe and all the things. So I think that's, yeah, that's just been one of the most encouraging things I have witnessed is that when you do the work, the work works and then you have experiences. Um, there was something I also wanted to mention about, okay. So back to ambivalence and how do you actually, how do you actually tell, how do you actually evaluate? Yeah. One of the things that you want to be looking for is how do I feel around this person and how specifically how emotionally safe do I feel around this person? And then how much attraction do I, do I feel? And I want to make a point here about leadership in a relationship. So, um, we teach our men how to lead. Leading is not dominating. So often I think we conflate those. We think that leading is being domineering or dominating. I'm going to give an example. If you're with a woman and you, and the sex is good and the relationship is good. And you're kind of like, I don't know, is, is it, is it good enough? You know, there's, she's kind of shy, right? She doesn't really open up all the time or it's kind of boring on road trips, you know, like just she's, she's kind of shy. And I wish she was more kind of sexually free. A lot of us will assume this is just the way this person is. There, there's no shifting. There's no adjusting. It's just, this is just how they are. Take it or leave it. So I have, I have to decide on my own, is this the partner I want forever? And I, there's no shifting. I want to talk about leadership. So for example, if you're a man and you want kind of more sexual variety in your sex life with this partner, or you want just more expression on her end or whatever it is, you can lead a discussion and say, Hey, this is kind of edgy for me, but I would love to talk about sex with you. You know, I'd love to hear just more about like, what are some sexual edges that you would love to play with? And then maybe I can share some of mine and you can lead a discussion. And one of the things that you can share is, I think you're really sexy. I would love to see just more like of you, just more of you in that space. You know, if you wanted to wear something or, and I'm not saying that you're not enough. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I want more of you. Mm -hmm. I want to see more of you and not just visually, but just who are you in that arena? Like, what are you, what's on your heart? What's, you know, going on for you. You can lead conversations. You can lead in a relationship in many ways. And because so many of us grew up in homes where we never saw that, we never saw healthy leadership. We, we, we hear the weirdest stories about families of origin. We hear about, God, I remember one where it was like this really big, drastic, terrible thing happened one night in the household. And the next day, nobody talked about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. Like many of us grew up in homes with no emotional attunement or true emotional leadership. So it's not surprising if you don't know how to do that. But what I'm trying to communicate is when you're evaluating or when you're in a relationship, you are allowed to lead conversations. You are allowed to lead to find out more and to open up more of a space. And, you know, for those of you that have taken my streaming course about sex, please her in bed. One of the big points in that course is when you as the man invite her forward, right? When you invite like I want sex to be a safe topic for us. 
I want to be able to talk about it with you. I want you to be able to talk with me. And I always want what we do to feel good to you. So I always want to know if something's working. I always want to know if something's not working. When you do that behavior over time, when you set the stage, you lead, and then you continue doing that, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just going to be that one conversation. You're, you're planting, you are planting a seed. You're planting a seed and over time you're watering it and you're, you're creating a safe space. You're inviting her into a container. When you do that over time, yeah, people, people shift, they come forward, things change. Like I was just talking to a client where he, he basically did a version of that. And he said, um, I found out things I'd never known. And we've been together for years, you know, just because I created that space, space and it's yeah. really helpful, helpful things. I remember years ago as well, when I did my police her in bed talk live, one of my friends, uh, was a, they were a couple and it basically, it opened up a discussion for them. He led a conversation about sex and she said, yeah, one of the things is that sometimes I'm almost about to come. Like I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost about to orgasm, but you switch, um, you switch what you're doing. And he said, yeah, that's because you get really, really quiet. And so I think that what I'm doing isn't working. And she's like, no, no. When I get really, really, really quiet, it's because I'm close. And they've never known that about each other. So there's a lot of possibility and creativity and openness that can happen in a relationship. Even if you've been together for decades, honestly, we see that all the time. That means that if you're feeling uncertain or feeling ambivalent about a certain part of your relationship, you can lead there. There, there's, There's room. And I think that that's something that I've been, uh, what's the word? Um, that's been challenging for me in relationship is I I think because I had a parent who wouldn't budge on anything, it was sort of like, there's no point in bringing something up to this person. There's no room because of that patterning. I will often be trying to decide about someone without sharing my concerns. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, well, that's just how they are. And I've got to decide now if I'm going to tolerate that thing that I don't like, or that makes me feel unsafe and stay with them or leave, right? Yeah. Like there's zero or 60. And I think that's the, um, that's the grace. That's the, the health part of a healthy relationship is finding the middle, finding 30 miles an hour, figuring out the middle, because if you're with a partner where you bring things up and they shut you down, shut you down, shut you down, that's zero. That's not a healthy relationship. But a lot of times we assume that we can't talk about things or we can't bring things up or there's no space, or this is just the sex life that we have, for example. And that's Mm -hmm. not. And I think that we have seen men be very brave. Our men be brave and bringing up big topics with their partner. And it's not just about sex. It's also sometimes about closeness, intimacy, um, love, how we express love with each other, just a lot of different things. And with partners that are, that are able to meet them, it's gone very well. And it becomes obvious very quickly whether or not a partner is able to meet them. Any comments on that? Yeah, I think I just want to highlight. Um, so it, just in my experience, having you know worked with a lot of men, having worked with some couples, and having a lot of friends in this world, that that spectrum you talked about there of um, it's the thing to look for in my mind is threshold sex. Like it, it, there's good enough sex. And when you pair that with the secure attachment, 
someone who I can actually be in relationship with, share myself with, have difficult conversations with, where we have safety, where we have trust with each other. That's the thing that's much harder to find and build, in my opinion. Improving your sex life, once you're, you know, this doesn't mean that there's not some people who are just totally sexually incompatible because they're drive or some stuff. But once you've hit that threshold of like, yeah, we both value sex and we genuinely like each other and each other's bodies, fixing sex is much easier in my mind than finding someone to build a secure, healthy attachment with. Cause you can go to, you, we can train that, right? There's training that's much easier to do. There's one conversation can radically change right? The the whole thing, like your example, whereas having two people who are actually available to be fully in relationship with each other, that takes more work. So, you know, and we train a lot of guys on polarity and erotic friction and how to work with that stuff. But the truth is that stuff's actually the easy stuff compared, I think, to the, the harder attachment work of what that secure foundation is. So if you're in an ambivalent situation and you have that secure attachment, but maybe there's something you're wanting more of sexually there, that's an easier place to be in my mind than, yeah, our sex is great, but it's the only thing, like you said, with your ex we have going on. That's a heavy lift to make that relationship work long-term. And that's just something to keep in mind, like the importance of that. And, um, you know, there's a few more bullet points I just want to get to here because there's, there's a lot, there's just a lot now that we're talking about this, um, that I love. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, the other, one other thing about attraction that I just wanted to share is there will always be moments in any relationship where you don't feel fully attracted to your partner. It's, it's totally, it's actually normal. It's like the weather. It's not always summer. Everything's not always in bloom. But as a couple, can you ride out the storms and come back together and rebuild that and be able to move through that? That's healthy. That's normal, I think. It's not porn level of attraction 100% of the time with your partners. As you get to know each other, you're just going to get that full bag of marbles. So that's that's important. A um, couple other things that we had, we've been talking about recently with some of our guys that I've seen get in the way of men, you know, feeling that clarity and kind of keeping them in the ambivalent is... I'm not sure and I don't want to hurt her. So I'm going to kind of keep one toe in one toe out, right? There's the fear of, well, I'm not sure. So, you know, should I go all the way in or commit to her? Cause then if it's not true, like, am I going to hurt her? And that's a tricky one. But what I've often found is there's already an implication to what you're doing. You, you are already communicating and hurting your partner in some way. If you're not all the way in. Uh, we can feel it when a partner's not fully with us. And, um, you know, presence, which we, we tend to say kind of goes along with the masculine or the, the alpha and radiance, which kind of tends to go with the feminine and omega. Those go hand in hand. So if you're not fully present, you don't even know who your woman really is, what it, what type of energy or sexual expression or softness or humor could come through her body. Like it's not to say it's all on you. You know, we all have our work to do to be responsible and to be able to show up in our presence and radiance. But just, this is a a place I've often seen of guys don't get all the way, aren't all the way in. And then their partners can feel like, I don't know where we're going. I don't like know what's going on. So like literally, I mean, my body posture just took the posture of like kind of closed and defended versus like, oh my God, open and relaxed and flowing. And so what I'll often suggest to men is if you have a doubt, rather than sitting on the sidelines, go all in, 
go all in. That doesn't mean you have to get married and get committed, but pick a period of time where you just say, you know what? I'm going to show up to my fullest in this relationship and fully choose to be with this woman and give it my all until, you know, and trust that if I ever get a full body, like, no, then I'll get out. And of course she might be hurt. You might be hurt, but the half in half out thing hurts too. Cause a, you're both not getting what you want. B to some extent, you're kind of wasting each other's time. Time you're half in with someone is time. They're not fully in with someone else. And this is a pain point. You know, I think particularly for a lot of women who might want to be, um, mothers, right? There's like a feeling of, well, I don't want you to waste four years of my life, like finding out. And so the solution that scares the crap out of a lot of guys, but I often suggest is, is go all in, just, just put it to the side for a while, show up, lead, be deep, be authentic, bring everything you've got. Don't hold back and then see how does she respond? What comes back? You know, who, what does it feel like to be together in that place? And you'll know, usually within some time and then leaving or breaking up is such a different energy because it's not an ambivalence it's a i played full out i brought everything i had to her and it still wasn't a fit it just wasn't a fit um and then we can kind of separate cleanly and oftentimes not always but oftentimes our partners will feel that that like we really tried to make it work and it didn't work so let's go our separate ways and so to to not be afraid of you know hurting her I think is because you, oftentimes you're already doing it without realizing it, I think is an important thing. So if you're feeling that ambivalence, you know, really go in. And um, the other piece I'll just say is I think that's tied to the settling piece. You know, we were talking about this on our call last week and I can't exactly remember how I phrased it, but it was something like, you know, settling is often the feeling of knowing we didn't give it at all, our all. We haven't fully showed up in our lives and that's when we've settled for someone, so to speak, is I can tell that I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not willing to go all that way. But you're not settling if you go all the way in and bring your full heart and leadership and everything you've got to a woman to see, does this work? Are we compatible? If it, if you are, you're definitely not settling because you brought it all. There's no settling there. And if you don't, then you know you're going to move on to someone else. But it's that have I given it my all? And oftentimes guys haven't given it their all. And then they wonder why they're not getting the, the, the fullness of their partner or not fully attracted to them or whatever that might be. But the, the more you show up in your presence, the more you will feel a woman's radiance. And for some women, it takes a certain amount of security and safety for them to reveal their heart. It's a vulnerable thing. Many women have given men their heart and they either stomped on it, left, or we're just too numbskulls to know what was going on and they get disappointed. They get hurt. Um, so they, they, you know, kind of come on guard. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that. I want to highlight one thing you said about, um, when you're not fully in, you're not fully invested, you're in, you're, you're doing this kind of hanging back thing. We can feel it. And for me, it shows up as neglect. And neglect is a form of abuse, as you've mentioned, at its extreme end. And it is, it does cause harm. It does. So to your point, going all in, shit, what if I go all in and then I break her heart or I disappoint her? It's an illusion that that is more hurtful and harmful than Mm. what? 
it's more obvious, but I think that a lot of us are, are frequently trying to protect one another from hurt in relationship. And here's the bottom line. You are going to get hurt in relationship. It's going to happen because it's painful. It's not all the time. Repair is possible. Yada, yada. (laughs) We've got healers and all, all of the things, but it's kind of like, yo, if you're going to learn skateboarding, you're going to get your ass kicked. If you don't know what you're doing yet, if you're actually going to learn jumps, snowboarding is kind of the same, right? If you're going to, if you're going to learn how to do this, well, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, It's going to happen. It's part of the learning process. It doesn't mean it's going to kill you. You know, it's, it's not, you're going to get hurt and then you're going to get better. So I think making decisions to try to avoid hurting someone in relationship is a little bit of an illusion. And there is a hurt around neglect or even semi-neglect. I've definitely been in relationships where I felt semi-neglected or neglected. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how to even handle this. Like there's no, like show up. Right. I remember with one of the men I was with just feeling that whole thing in my body, just wanting to like yell in his face, like show up, show up for me, show up for us. Where are you? And I didn't, I didn't yell those things at him, but I felt I could feel his like, you know, ambivalence essentially. And then the last thing I wanted to say was for many people, ambivalence is part of the package there. You're never going to feel a hundred percent. in. you're never going to feel this is perfect. I'm absolutely sure. So it's not cut and dried. And there is a part of, of you, of me, of of everyone that we need, that we need to accept of there's a part of me that's going to be ambivalent. There's a part of me that's going to question. There's a part of me that's going to feel this way now down the line, you know, in five years, whatever it is. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. You don't have to make a choice from that part, but I think it is important to acknowledge that for many people that kind of coming to terms with, this is part of me. This is part of my personality. I have this ambivalent part and it doesn't mean you can't take risks or do things with your life. It's just, there's something, I think it can be freeing to understand this is a normal part of, of relationship. And it's going to come up with anyone. Yeah. yeah, I think that's can be really liberating for a lot of men. It, it's not like Hollywood. And most of the time, it's not like Hollywood. You don't just make first eye contact. No, yeah. it's true love and end up forever. Like you have to discover, is this my person through hardship, yeah. through, yeah, hurting, getting hurt, hurting the person? How do we rupture? How do we repair? How do, What does it feel like to wake up in our pajamas after a week of traveling? Like all that stuff is important because you're really getting to know each other. And it's also important to stay connected to your community and to have friends groups and other high quality folks in your life that know you and know you well, you need that. You need that for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is they can help you make these decisions. They can reflect things that you've been saying over the last six months or ways you haven't been showing up, but you can only do that. If you have those folks in your life, you need that community. You need those, those men's groups, those, those people that know you well and are tracking you over time. That's an investment. If you don't have that in your life yet, get that in your life. You're going to need it. Whether or not you're in relationship, it's important. And it helps you with this part of how, okay, fine. How do I actually figure this out though? If I'm totally, I was just going to mention that. And I've experienced it literally in my own life. And in many men I've seen of when a group of men know my story and my patterns, they're not going to hold back 
And I, I've not, you know, I've been the one to not hold back. I've had people not hold back on me of, you know, someone shows up and it's all the fireworks and it's all the story and da, da, da. And wow, this feels a lot like, it's just, there's, there's some things here that feel a lot like your previous relationships that you said you never wanted to do again. Right. And they can help us sort through that patterning and a no. And then oftentimes when, when those trusted men, you know, they'll give us a, a red light if or a yellow light if they're like, hey, I, I you know, I'm going to be totally honest. I, I see some stuff here that you may not be seeing. Um, or, but then when they do give a green light of like, yeah, no, like she feels different. This feels good. You know, that was huge for me when I felt men I really trusted. Like I could see how they were experiencing my partner and it was a go. And I was like, fuck, okay. I have my own blind spots. These guys know my blind spots and they're, they're, they're still giving me a positive. So I think that's a huge benefit to community. And one of the things I've allowed, I've seen allow men to go in because they're like, okay, I'll have my men cross-checking me. And if there's red flags at any point, I'm not the only one that has to be aware of those because I'm going to be sharing my journey with these men. And that's huge. The related to that, the other, the other last thing I just wanted to share was, um, one of the ways, one of the things that ended up guiding me that's related to this is being exposed and spending time around older couples that had what I wanted, right? That just literally through seeing how they talked to each other, how they moved, how they handled conflict, the structures of their relationship. I got pretty lucky in my 20s to meet a couple couples like that. And it provided me something that I didn't have from my own lived experience in my family of a map. It's like, oh, that's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. So that's what I want to move towards. And it's one of the great things about doing, you know, relational work, deeper growth work, men's work, all that is you're going to get exposed to people you might not otherwise, and you might get to meet some of those couples. And then there's just like a, yeah, that's it. And, and then it's pretty obvious of like, oh, what I thought was it was not it, but that's it. I can see how they are with each other and how they love each other and how there's energy and how they're not perfect. You know, that's the thing you'll hear from most couples that have made it a long term. They're like, this is hard. There's times we didn't think we were going to make it, but we just kept working with each other and leaning in. Yes. And sometimes we got outside support. Also, yes. Oftentimes. <laughs> oftentimes we got outside support when it was real bad, when we really needed it, or when one of us was bringing up trauma for the other one, you know, we, we got outside support. And by that, I mean, coaching, therapy, couples counseling, individual, just support for both individuals and, and as a team. So there's and being embedded in a wider community is is critical, I think, for the overall ecosystem. And the idea that couples are out there doing it alone is is an illusion. Healthy, conscious couples are not doing it alone. <laughs> They've got a lot of support. It's part of totally part of why it works. So yeah, so we're going to start to wrap up here. If you are interested in our work working with us, you can go to evolutionary.men/apply. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to Dear Men Podcast Patreon. And if you join at a $10 a month level or more, you will get access to our live Q&As once a month. So again, if you're interested in the work that Jason and I do together, go to evolutionary.men slash apply. <music>